So how did we fund all of this? We got money from Wall Street. We would go and do a pitch from Wall Street and get you know money from them. But anyone who's ever raised money from Wall Street, the job of Wall Street is to pay Wall Street. So all the money really went to them. We got some fees and stuff, but it wasn't great. So then a year ago, under the crowdfunding um, legislation, the Jobs Act, I started a crowdfund. And so, because the idea was, look, we're just ordinary guys. Like, I'm nothing special. I have no finance background. I'm no expert in this stuff. It's not that complicated. And if you do it over and over and over and over, it becomes relatively straightforward to do. There's a lot to know, but you don't need a PhD to do it. What if just ordinary guys like us could raise money from other ordinary guys like us and pool the money and buy the loans? So we get the money rather than giving it all to Wall Street. All right, guys, welcome again to another amazing episode. Today we have Paul Burkett. He is the founder of Automation Finance. Uh, this is where they buy uh, distressed debt at a discount. So essentially, if you have a non-performing note, and I guess in, from what he just explained, performing as well, you can reach out to his company and they will purchase your your notes so that you don't have to um, actually go into bankruptcy from what, from what I see most people end up doing. So mm-hmm. the idea is that they help you get out of a tough situation, right? And we're gonna talk about this and how, you know, how, how he got started and how he grew a company and we'll get into some actionable items and how he can help people get out of those tough situations. So Paul, if you, if you can, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and, and let us know uh, uh, a little bit about you. Well, thanks Oscar and uh, thanks German for having Thank me you, on Paul. your show. Um, uh, my name is Paul Burkett. Um, this is my second act. I had a 25-year career before this, just like I think you both had careers before you became world-leading podcasters. Um, uh, and I did a corporate uh, uh, career for 25 years at some of the biggest companies in the world. Um, and came to the United States in 2010. So um, uh, it's amazing to think that coming from well, I wasn't educated in Ireland, was, or wasn't educated in the US, was educated and born in Ireland. Um, in, uh, in, just, in just under 10 years, we've grown a business from nothing to uh, over $250 million of assets under management. And so only in America, right? Because you couldn't do that anywhere else, nowhere else. I've lived many, many places around the world, but only in America could you build a business of that kind of scale at this kind of speed. Yes. So that, that is amazing that you said that, you know, because obviously you're, you're a foreigner who sees that our, the, the American market. And if you can elaborate a little bit more, why you say nowhere else can you do this? Right. Because yeah. are you, uh, yeah, dive into that. I'm curious to that, to that subject. Why would you say nowhere else can you scale it like this? Well, I always thought growing up watching us TV as a kid, you'd watch those old, you know, cowboy movies where the guys were in on the horses riding across the country trying to make a life for themselves. And I thought that was then, that was when you could stake a claim, you could find some ground, you could improve it somehow and maybe make a life for yourself. It never really realized until I got to the US in 2010 that um, just the horses have been replaced by, by Lexus and, and Tesla cars. But 
Yeah. Everything else is the same. People are still working to try and expand the the economy and and grow, make a life for themselves. Um, Where I'm from in Europe, uh, we don't have that. Like when I fly over America, you fly for four, three, four, five hours. You look out the window, all you see is green. The country is one of the least densely populated countries in the world. I think it's the least densely populated country in the world. Everywhere else is full already. So it's much, much more difficult to find opportunities. Um, And those with the money do everything they can to make sure that the rules are stacked in their favor. So it's very hard. You couldn't build a mortgage business from nothing in in Europe. I don't believe anyone has done that. They've all come from one mortgage business and built another one. Well, that's not the same as what we did. We started with nothing. I was in the soda and and soft drinks and and, and, uh, chips market before I came to the mortgage business. And so America opens its arms and helps people get their business started. There is nowhere better to start a business than in the United States. Man, that that's so amazing. So yeah, yeah, that's so amazing that that you that you gave us that perspective. I mean, we're we're also immigrants, and mm-hmm. and it, but we've been here all our lives, and we haven't seen the difference from other countries, but we hear it a lot. You yeah. know uh, how other markets are. Um, not as open to opportunities, like you said, and and we can dive into politics and we can dive into into all sorts of things. Uh, pro- hopefully, uh, and probably in another co- in, in another podcast. Uh, but but yeah, that's 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 amazing how uh, uh, this this is the uh, the lamp of opportunities, and and it's easy and it's good when you hear a perspective from from somebody coming from the outside and he gives you that perspective of like yeah this is a this is a great place to be in regardless of everything that's go that goes on around yeah so let me let me dive into because i think we have part of our audience it's also like us they, they've come from another country and mm-hmm. they're trying to make it right just like many of us and i think it is and a lot of immigrants that 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 is in their head i'm not leaving yeah. my country for nothing, I'm leaving it because I want to excel and do better. So when you arrive here, what are you, other than seeing, you know, obviously opportunity and land and, and density and things like that, what actionable opportunity were you able to take advantage of to start your mortgage company from scratch? So I arrived in Southern Florida in 2010 at a meeting. I picked up a realtor magazine and saw a three bedroom, two bathroom house in, um, on the on the uh, in Cape Coral, I couldn't think there's no in Cape Coral, three bedroom, two bathroom house, nice district, nice area, okay schools. The house was eighty thousand dollars. That house in Europe would be three hundred thousand dollars. So I drove there. I looked at the house. I thought I'm missing something. You, you can't. You cannot buy the lumber for eighty thousand dollars. Never mind build the house. So I bought the house because I did the numbers every which way. It was going to rent for 1,500 bucks a month and I could buy it for 80 grand. I bought it, I did a very light rehab and I rented it out and it rented in a week. And I just couldn't believe it. The same, that same thing would take 90 days, 180 days to do in Europe just because of the way the real estate market works. And I bought another one and another one and another one and only in America. And then I went to a conference for real estate to figure out how to buy real estate. Because remember, I don't know what a HUD is. I've never had debt in America. I didn't know that houses weren't even made of stone. I thought they were made of stone like they were made where I'm used to. 
So I, I knew nothing, but I learned it and I learned it the hard way. And so you meet people at a conference and a banker says to me, oh, we'd be able to get you a loan, no problem. So I ended up getting a loan and another loan and another loan. And then I had, I ended up with 30 rental properties thinking that this was a great passive income. I don't know if you run much uh, rental properties, but there's nothing less passive than running rental properties. Yeah. Every night, every day, every, all Saturday, all Sunday, every night after work, move in, move out, uh, repairs, rehabs, code violations, pay the taxes, do the accounting. Broke my heart. I thought it was going to be my sideline gig. It became my second full-time job. Um, so I ended up, I was buying a short sale from a well-known bank, all the listeners would know. And they called me up one day and a short sale is where the bank accepts less than is owed and allows the property to get sold. So the homeowner gets off the hook a little. And that they, they, uh, a short sale became a note sale. And I thought, what now? A note sale? What's a note? Well, a note is a mortgage. Oh, okay. Like that's what, this is how much I knew. Uh, and you've sold the mortgage to someone else? Yeah. Who'd you sell it to? Like uh, Chase or, or you know, who, who'd you sell it to? Oh, we sold it to, uh, to Joe Smith. You sold it to a guy? A guy can own a mortgage? <laughs> what? Not a bank. In Europe, in the rest of the world, only in America can you have a private guy or girl owning mortgages. I thought, whoa, rental properties, goodbye. <laughs> That's amazing. Because <laughs> what became I became the bank. Well, what happens when the toilet breaks in a rental property? Yeah. What happens when a toilet breaks in a mortgage property? It's the homeowner's problem. I don't get homeowners call me to pay me or to tell me that they're not going to pay, but they don't call me to say the gate squeaks and the AC is out and the lights are all that's over. I don't own a single. That's not true. I only own a few rental properties, um, but that's only because I haven't got around to selling them yet. Nice. So, so can you, can you explain to us when, when, when they told you that Joe Smith owns that mortgage? Yeah. What, what, what's the, What what ball? What idea came to your mind to say, okay, let me let me get into this, and and what opportunities did you did you see coming for you, and and to to get into this now? Well, if you've ever rented out a house, have you ever done that? Yes, we got a couple. You got of to find, you've got to find a tenant, then you got to rehab the house, then you've got to evict the tenant, then there's some problem with termites, then you've got to insure it, then you've got to pay the taxes. Then you've got to evict the guy and get the next tenant, and on and on and on and on. Well, I had mortgages, and I'd never spoken to anyone at the mortgage company. I just sent them money. So if Joe Smith, his name wasn't Joe Smith, obviously, but if Joe Smith can can own a mortgage, it's a you can own a lot more of more more mortgages. Like we run two thousand five hundred mortgages. There's only six people in the company. Could, wow. you run two, could you run 2,600 doors with six people? Nice. No. So, <laughs> no. So how? You couldn't, so even how do the account, you couldn't even do the accounting, right? No. Yeah. Uh, you can't. No, that's amazing. So, so our listeners now, and I mean, in, in, I'm one of those right now. They're, they're, they're probably spinning their heads and be like, okay, cool. So you own all these, all these properties, right? And, and you're having all these issues, which a lot of us are having, landlords have them. Yeah. Um, 
how do you how do you turn around and started uh, all this? How do you go in and started buy mortgages? Well, I bought one. I went to a conference which was for seller carryback. Happens a lot in the West where there isn't as well established banking set up. So I'm an old retired guy. I want to sell my home. You want to buy it. You only have twenty grand. And I, and I write a private mortgage between you and me, and that's how the home gets sold. And that's still 2 to 3% of all mortgages are still seller carryback. So I went to a seller carryback conference, and I was going to be a hard money lender, I thought. Because 2010, remember, there was a lot of fix and flip, all that stuff. Yes. So I was looking at that going, okay. And so I met with some of these guys who are hard money lenders, and they produced this binder as thick as your arm of all the pages that you need to get this and you need the COE and then you need to get the appraisal and you know, I'm going, oh, this is just as bad as rentals <laughs> because I'm, I'm not doing, I don't want to do this. So then I uh, went to, a, a, they had a thing, uh, like an investor pitch at the end of conference saying, buy defaulted loans for pennies on the dollar. You can be a billionaire by lunchtime on Wednesday usual BS stuff to hear at these things. But I always go to it because I go, you know what? There might be something here. And if it's terrible, I leave after half an hour. Yeah. But my jaw hit the floor because what these guys were saying was you can buy defaulted mortgages. So there's no origination. There's no underwriting. There's no appraisal. There's nothing. There's not even, you don't even need to talk to the borrower because they've already got the loan in place. Now they're not paying which is a pretty big problem. You can imagine when I went to my friends and said, hey, I'm selling all my rental properties and I'm going to buy, wait for this, mortgages on houses where the borrowers don't pay. That's what I'm going to do. And I had yeah. about, I don't know, about 150 grand or so a year of, of, of rental income and that was going to go to zero. It was very exciting. <laughs> and so... And so, um, but that's, that's what I did. And so I ended up buying 10 loans and it worked out really well because the trend was my friend because, the, you know, the real estate market was doing real well in 12, 13, whatever. And so then a big deal came and I bought three or 400 loans and then I bought another 200 loans and then I bought 60 loans from the FDIC which was from a bank basically a bank was going bust in just on the on the um, shores of Lake Michigan just right by Chicago and I bought a load of loans down there boy was that an education um, uh, and so you know just worked through it and built up the team built up the team a little bit and then started doing asset management for other um, mortgage companies, guys who are basically competitors um, and, and manage their, their loans as well. And so then about, so how did we fund all of this? We got money from Wall Street. We would go and do a pitch from Wall Street and get you know money from them. But anyone who's ever raised money from Wall Street, the job of Wall Street is to pay Wall Street. So all the money really went to them. We got some fees and stuff, but it wasn't great. So then a year ago, under the crowdfunding um, legislation, the Jobs Act, I started a crowdfund. And so, because the idea was, look, we're just ordinary guys. Like, I'm nothing special. I have no finance background. I'm no expert in this stuff. It's not that complicated. And if you do it over and over and over and over, it becomes relatively straightforward to do there's a lot to know but you don't need a phd to do it 
what if just ordinary guys like us could raise money from other ordinary guys like us and pool the money and buy the loans? So we get the money rather than giving it all to Wall Street. So that's what we did. And that, that's what we're doing now. We're raising money now because there's another wave of foreclosures coming in next year, the beginning of next year. Yeah. And yeah. A, a lot of those borrowers are going to need help. And so either we can help them and keep them in their homes or Wall Street can buy that those loans, evict all the people and rehab the homes and sell them. Well, I think my solution is better than Wall Street's solution. Yeah, no, I definitely completely agree. So are you doing a a fund essentially, a 506B or, or a 506C? No, we're doing a Reg A crowdfund, already approved. It's actually live. We're raising money right now. Okay. I'm working on a couple of deals right now, to which will close before the before the end of the year. And so the way it works is, like, what what are you getting in your deposit account right now? About half of one percent, or or maybe yeah. even less. Yeah. Uh, we we pay eight percent. And so the way it works is, we pool the money. We pay the money, we pay uh, a return quarterly. Sorry, we pay it monthly. Or some people leave it in, they don't take any money out, which is the secret to compounding, right? Is to never take yeah. the money, leave it in and get interest on the interest. And we pay that out. We take the money, we use it to buy mortgages at 60 or 70 cents on the dollar. We then work with the borrower, get them paying again, and we use that money to pay the investor. So we've been doing it since 2013. We've made about 16% a year. And so we're basically splitting it with the investor. Half comes to us to pay for the company and all that, and half goes to the investor. And what's even better is we offer liquidity. So if people want to get out, they can. They can just, no, only two people have done it so far. And there's always a risk that everyone wants out at the same time and we don't have the cash. But So it's called best efforts liquidity. But some people will put money in, like let's say they're going to do a rehab and they're sitting on 50 grand. Well, we'll pay them 8% interest for a year while they're waiting, looking for the thing. You'd be surprised how quickly a year goes by. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on 50 grand, that's what's that four grand of interest. That's not bad. Yeah. So let, let me ask you, how are you helping people, you know, get back to paying that mortgage note that you bought? Well, if you think of this, let's think, I won't name any banks because I don't want to get any of us sued. But if you think of any bank, let's say it's called, I'm from Ireland. So let's say it's called the Bank of Lovely Ireland. And you have a mortgage from that company and uh, you get in trouble. You're laid off because of COVID, whatever happens. And you miss three, four, five, six payments. You weren't earning anything. So you can't make the payments. And then you get a new job. And eventually the bank calls you up and goes, hey, Oscar, what's going on here, man? You owe us six or $12,000. Where's our $12,000? And you say, well, I lost my job, but now I got a new job and I'm, I'm going to be okay. Um, and they say, yeah, that's fine. But where's our $12,000? Well, can we work something out? No, no, no. We can't work anything out. Because if that bank does a deal with you, you'll go down to the golf club, church, swimming pool, kids schoolyard, wherever it is you're hanging out with the with the with with your buddies and you'll say, "Hey, the Bank of Lovely Ireland, you don't need to pay them. They'll just let you have a bit of a holiday for for a few months." And 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 then they've got a problem because everyone in their whole book will stop paying. 
So what happens is the bank sells that loan to us and they sell it to us at a discount. No one's ever heard of automation finance. So we don't make consumer loans. So the fact that every one of our clients knows that they got a deal doesn't hurt us. In fact, it helps us. And what we'll do is you say, look, Oscar, you're out of work for six months. Forget about those payments. Just, just forget about them. Let's just cancel them um, or put them on the end of the loan or reduce your interest rate or extend the term, whatever we need to do to keep it cash flowing. And so the secret is really, what would you do if I foreclose and kick you out of your house and tell you to take your family and your belongings and, and skedaddle? You're going to rent a house around the corner down the street because your kids are at school or whatever the story would be with, with any particular family. So long as your payment is around 75% of what the rent would cost if you were to go down the street, then you're going to make a rational decision and mm -hmm. say, I'm not losing my house. What's the point of losing my house? Keep the house. These guys are working with me. They're reducing my payment down by 250 bucks a month or whatever it is. And I can keep paying. And I was just looking at CoreLogic this morning. Residential real estate prices are up 7.5% this year. Mm -hmm. So you're going up and up and up. Why would you lose an appreciating asset? Now, I don't care if you move out of the house and rent it. I just want to get paid because I don't want to have to call a plumber to fix the toilets because the tenants are complaining. I don't want to have to fix the roof. I don't want to fix your squeaky gate. That's your fabulous house and they're your fabulous problems. You solve them because you can solve them for 20 bucks where some guy's going to charge me 300. Yeah. No, I love it, man, because you have a definitely a, a methodical approach to helping them get back on track. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, if you got if you're within that 25% range of what you would pay, I mean, why would you move? Yeah, makes right. no sense. And, you, and you're buying it at such a discount that you can actually afford to to give that 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 lower payment to the uh, to the people for the people that are like, you know, spinning their brain around. It's like, okay, how does this work? So that's basically yeah. what you're doing, yeah. Each payment, each each borrower is, is different and, you know, each case is, is different. But, you know, we have one case today Unfortunately, the lady in the house doesn't pay her mortgage because she has Alzheimer's and she, she forgets. She doesn't forget to pay her mortgage. She forgets to pay everything. So we helped her put all of her payments on um, auto pay and we reduced and she's on Social Security and her husband's on Social Security. And we reduced down her payment to a tiny amount that just covers the interest to the investor. And when she's because she's not going to live in that home for more than a year or two. Yes. And so the loan is not being paid down right now, but she's yeah. got nowhere else to go. So no, that's very nice. That's very we'll nice. Wait, that. We'll wait two or three years. She'll move out of that home. She'll probably need to go to assisted living. And then the house will get sold. Yeah. And you guys take care of that too, either either foreclosing it or yeah. selling the houses. You take care of that part too. Okay. You, you have to because yeah. you need to be able to say we can do everything. You can't say, oh, we only do this with that. We do everything. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. That's a, yeah, that's a well-rounded business. Um, for for and I, I love I love the concept. Honestly, I've I've heard of it, but I never knew like how it works. Um, yeah. For for you, for example, let's see. I mean, you again. You had your your properties. You sold them. Um, yeah. 
if, if you don't mind sharing with us in the audience sure. so they can have an idea of how, let's say, somebody wants to start this, uh, what type of capital uh, do somebody, will somebody need just to start with? Or would you recommend just, for example, starting uh, with what, buying like what mortgage and then scale up as they go? If you really want to do the mortgage business, I would say get a partner. If you can find a partner who already knows the business, because it's it's like if you were to fly a, a jet, you could buy the book, the instruction manual on the jet, but I'm not sure even if you could recite the instruction book from memory that I would feel comfortable getting in that jet with you. And there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong in the mortgage business if you don't know what you're doing. I'm not saying it's very complicated. It's not very complicated, but there is a lot of it and it is quite complex. And I think it would be a bad idea for a new person to say, hey, that sounds interesting. I'm going to give that a go. It's not like buying a house. The idea that real estate and like real estate is real estate. Mortgages is finance and law and tax and accounting. If you don't know that stuff, you're almost certain to make a terrible mistake. So I would say find a partner and learn, even if you have to work for free. The first person that worked for me was an accountant who wanted to get into the business. He worked for a year or so for free and learned the business the hard way. And he was, he's way smarter than me and works super, super hard. But, and again, it's not that it's, oh, I can't understand the concept. The concept is easy. The hard part is there's a lot of yes, but, and exceptions. And in this case, and in that case, and no amount of reading will really soak through your head, you really need to experience it. Because remember, we buy loans in 50 states and the rules in Hawaii are very different than the rules in New York are very different than the rules in Texas. Yeah. Nice. Oh, and that takes a lot of digging and a lot of figuring it out as you go. Practice, practice, practice. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the, I like the fact that you give us the distinction between the, well, it's not real estate, it's finance. Yeah. So that's awesome because yeah, real estate is, is solid. Um, like you said, there's a lot of, of, of physical labor that we have that has to go into it. Uh, yeah. You know, fixing toilets, chopping uh, the trees, and and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and fixing roofs. Uh, when it comes to finance, uh, that, that's that's an awesome distinction that you gave us there. Uh, yeah, because I mean, there's there's a lot of people chasing you know chase uh, shiny objects, and they go like, oh, this is a great idea. Let me get jump into it. Let me sell everything I have, and and uh, so appreciate the distinction right there. And so people come to us all the time and they say, hey, you do single family homes. Do you want to do multifamily? Do you want to do commercial? Do you want to do industrial? Do you want to do blah, blah, blah? No. Why? Well, because someone else is working really hard on those things and they're going to be better than me. Yeah. And I'm going to make a big mistake. And so every time we've ventured off into something we don't know about, We've made, we haven't lost money, but we've wasted a lot of time. And when I eventually go and tell someone, oh, we tried this and we did this and that and this and that, and they went, oh, I'll tell you what happened. This happened. And I'll go, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, you see, that always happens. So <laughs> just, stick, just, just stick to what you know. And, yeah. do it. and I don't mean that in a negative way. If your business, if you're in the, uh, uh, you know, a business that's just out of date, then you've got to find a different business. But shiny object is a very dangerous business. Yeah. No, I agree. And I, I think you're spot on. You're, you're saying stick to your skill set and to yeah. what's already working, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
don't go too crazy. No, right. I hear you. So let me yeah. let me ask you, because uh, I see, you know, obviously you were you had a previous job and you were very successful um, at, at Pepsi, I believe, and several other companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did any of those jobs prepare you for what you're doing now? I think they all prepare you because at some point or at some level, all jobs and all businesses are just the same, whether you're a doctor or a roofer or a farmer. You're buying things, you're selling things, you're dealing with other people, you're setting a plan, you're setting milestones for that plan, you're marshalling resources to try and deliver the plan as efficiently, as quickly as possible. And so I was very lucky in my career that I got to work with lots of really smart people, which made it clear to me how dumb I was and how I should make sure I'm surrounded by smart people who are experts and interested in the areas in which they work. And so that's what we did a lot of. And you you see a lot of opportunities in your life. Not that many of them are really, really great opportunities. And so I think the journey for me on the career front has been about making sure I find the opportunities and really grab the good ones, make sure I really go with those good ones and not be, you know, like we said before, jumping from one shiny object to another, which I think is it's probably our nature. It's certainly my nature. I like new things. Ooh, exciting. But yeah. that exciting and business, I'm not sure you want to be in an exciting business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very well put. I love that. You want to be in a stable, growing business constant growth right right yeah and and a lot of people say you know when when they're successful in their businesses and all that stuff uh they usually mention that um that what they do is not is not sexy and what they do is not glamorous you know uh but that's where most successful businesses and more successful people are doing not the glamorous uh, stuff and um and that's what's working for them even when I was doing sexy, glamorous stuff, making TV ads and organizing the Super Bowl in New York, whenever it was five, six, seven years ago, that was the only sexy part was the two minutes that you saw on TV, not the 90 days of grind <laughs> yeah. with permitting, counting, budgets, uh, dealing with talent who are notoriously unreliable and difficult to work with. There is no glamorous. That is yeah. just, not, and I'm sure being a, a you know, one of the major pop stars or football stars in the world is a grind too. We just see them on the Sunday yeah. sports shows. Yeah, we just see I mean, we just see the, yeah. the five minutes of yeah. I know what that's the mean. easy bit. Yep, exactly. So then you know, let, let me let me ask here because I was looking at your your bio again, but and and based on what you mentioned was you, a lot of foreclosures, right? You you yeah. saved over people over two thousand families from over 2000 foreclosures. So right. how do you see the, you know, the economy moving forward and you're saying there's foreclosures coming. What do you see happening there? Yeah. Well, so there's two halves or two portions to the market. There's the portion that's government backed, which is Fannie Freddie um, mortgages. And that's about 80%, maybe a bit more. Then there's 10 or 15%, which is private mortgages that are not Fannie or Freddie backed. And there has been no forbearance program for those borrowers. So, so there may be, there, there is no uh, kind of programmatic 
program for those guys that works for everybody. So it's a case by case basis. Lots of those people are restaurant owners, hotel owners, they own hospitality, lodging, leisure type businesses. And those businesses have been closed since February and they're probably not gonna open until next February. And they're just gonna be so far behind, it's gonna be really hard to catch up for those guys. And there isn't really a mechanism for them to refinance because their credit will be damaged. And those loans are gonna go into foreclosure. And I think a lot of banks and a lot of investors who are investors in those assets would rather sell them than take back a bunch of people's homes um, and uh, all of the damage that that uh, uh, results in. Uh, selling the loan is usually a better financial outcome, even when they're selling it at 65 cents on the dollar, than the two years they spend fighting with the borrower, foreclosing, all the headline risk, all of the property maintenance and all the stuff we spoke about before. A scale solution is just sell them. And I think that's what, that's what we're going to see. Now, will it be 2008 again? No, it won't. I don't think it will be. But I think it might be 20% of what we saw in 2008, something like that. Okay. Let me, let me, let me ask you this. In regards to the difference, uh, you know, when, when, when you're looking for a house, when you're looking for uh, properties that are in distress or whatever, how, mm-hmm. uh, how does the marketing or how does the purchase of mortgages differ from buying, for example, homes? How, how is that connection or that communication with the banks uh, look like? Well, it's very different because many banks, if not all banks, will have an REO department, a real estate owned department or a special asset manager. And they are at the end of the chain. They're the guys who are trying to sell the property for the best price to minimize the losses to the bank. Typically, they don't have a trade desk. They don't have some guy in there going, hey, see if you can find someone to buy these mortgages. And the reason for that is it's hard to find qualified counterparties. You can't just rock up to a bank and say, I want to buy the mortgage and walk off with a folder under your arm. Uh, you probably could have done that in 2005 or six, but mm-hmm. can't do that these days. And so it's very different. It's much more relationship driven. So I speak at a lot of conferences. I know a lot of the banks. I know a lot of the brokers and deals come to me and they come to me because we're usually maybe not the best price, but we're a good price, but they have that certainty of execution. We're not going to say yes, 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 and then fade on the price from 100 to 80 on the last day or all, all that kind of stuff, because that just makes everyone look foolish. It's So so it's much more about relationship building and th- like every other business. No, that's, that's a great question, man, because I, I remember in the you know the recession 2008 i mean people were buying them pretty you know directly from bank and you always hear reo reo yeah. go. and i know i've tried calling a bank and finding and they're like no you we we don't do it that way and it's like okay well what are these people yeah. talking about that you can so i get the game has changed right and, and these things change all the time so sure maybe in the future yeah i mean there isn't that much supply right now so calling the bank they don't have an REO. The guy who used to work in REO is probably doing something else right now, but he'll be back in REO in March or April of next year, probably. Okay. All right, man. Well, that's awesome. Jeremy, you got anything else? 
No, no, no. I I think it's awesome. Uh, the 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 subject is is amazing. I like I said, you know, my brother and I we we looked into this, uh, but we didn't know how the the intricates of the business work, and is is pretty interesting. Love it. Yeah. No, and that, and that's I I wish you the best with that regulation A fund. I know we're we're working on uh, a five hundred six B and five hundred six C structure ourselves, and in the future. Right. We hope to do a fund. We know that that is an end goal of ours, but I wish you the best on that. And if you can, let the audience know where they can find you and reach you. Yeah, we've just reopened the fund now. We're looking at deals right now. So people can subscribe. We're open to people with as, as little as $250 to invest. So anyone can do it with $250. We pay 8% a year. And you'll find all of the details on our website and on the SEC website. So automation finance, all one word. Um, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place, Paul Burkett. And you'll find me there. Okay. Awesome, man. Awesome, Paul. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. And you know, we, we hope to continue hearing from you. And for our audience, go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Uh, shoot us a message. And we're always glad to answer anything and, and talk about anything. So guys, we're out. Thank you.